Welcome to Talking Underwater, One Water, One Podcast. I am Katie Johns, Editor-in-Chief of Stormwater Solutions and Water Quality Products. Today, we are sharing an interview with Dr. Sharath Girmaji, Professor and Head of Ocean Engineering and Professor of Aerospace Engineering and Mechanical Engineering at Texas A&M University. We talk all about the blue economy, what it is, how water plays into it, and much more. We also dive into the intersection of water and offshore resources. It's a really interesting conversation, so let's get right to it. Hello, everyone. I am Katie Johns, co-host of Talking Underwater, and today I am joined by Dr. Sharath Girimaji, professor and head of ocean engineering and professor of aerospace engineering and professor of mechanical engineering at Texas A&M University. Today, we are going to be discussing the blue economy and looking at the intersection of offshore wind and water a little more closely. Uh, so, Dr. Girmaji, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation with you. I am too. Um, so, first, I want to get us on a, on a nice little foundation to start. Can you tell our listeners what the blue economy is? Uh, absolutely. Uh, let me start with a bit of a background uh, on this uh, matter. Uh, you know, as you know, there's uh, our population is increasing. It's about eight billion now, and and we are headed towards uh, ten billion in, over the next few decades. And and with this increase in population, issues related to sea level rise, geopolitics, and the limitations of land-based resources, uh, we are now looking to the oceans for many of these solutions. And in fact, the UN uh, believes that the future lies with the oceans for our uh, water, food, energy nexus and for profitable jobs in the future. And it's for this reason that uh, the decade of 2021 to 2030 has been declared the decade of the oceans by the United Nations. So this is kind of the background in which blue economy uh, should be understood. So the definition of blue economy is kind of varied. Uh, different people have different definitions, but we all agree on a few ground rules, and that is blue economy integrates all of the different ocean act related act economic activities. Okay, uh, with the following set of caveats. One, it has to be sustainable and profitable. Uh, two, we must take up economic, uh, environmental, excuse me, environmental stewardship of the oceans. Uh, it is just, uh, it's not enough that just we exploit or take advantage of the resource of the ocean, but we should also leave it leave behind us the ability for future generations to be able to take advantage of the oceans as well. And it also must have broad societal impact. Uh, what we mean by this is uh, equitable uh, contribution to all of humankind. It's not just one set of one group of people that would uh, take advantage of this, but it would be broadly available for uh, a range of uh, different uh, 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 nationalities and, and people living in different regions. Uh, so if you want to uh, capture this in, in a sentence, I would like to say the following. So we want to go from hunter-gatherers of the ocean, that's how we've been operating till now, uh, to strategically cultivating the ocean uh, for the benefit of all humankind. Uh, so that's how I view blue economy. And it has several uh, uh, sectors, the economy, just like any other part of the economy, it has several sectors. And there's a list of them that you can find on, on the internet. But let me just uh, say the top five are fisheries and aquaculture, maritime transportation, uh, coastal tourism and uh, cruise ship industry, 
uh, marine biotechno biotechnology and, and seawater desalination. Uh, we believe these are the top five uh, sectors of blue economy. And um, so in, in pursuing blue economy, uh, we have come up with the acronym OCEAN, OCEANS, O-C-E-A-N-S, which stands for Ocean Driven Circular Economy and Nature-Based Solutions. So this encapsulates all the things we're looking for here, which is a strong economic component, but with uh, solutions that, that take nature into account. Yeah, and that last point, nature-based solutions, is something that our audiences, specifically on our stormwater side, really focus on as well when they're working with runoff or they're working with water resources, um, which, and the whole reason we have it here today is to talk about that intersection between the water industry and this offshore wind and the blue economy. Um, and so I'm wondering if you can kind of expand more on how water and offshore resources intersect and how they might impact each other or, or work together. Absolutely. Uh let me uh, answer a broader uh, question of that, which is, uh, what is the interaction between, you know, water and the oceans and then ocean-based resources? Um, you know, I would like to uh, think of uh, offshore uh, as, as not just the, our potential to get energy from it, but also the ocean as a whole. And, and uh, as you know, oceans uh, play a very critical role in the freshwater cycle. Um, uh, you know, oceans hold 97% of the total water on the planet, and, and, and about 80% of rainfall falls on the oceans, uh, not on land, uh, okay? And uh, so ocean, the health of oceans is very critical for our freshwater cycle. Uh, and an unhealthy ocean can adversely affect our freshwater cycle uh, on land. And um, so uh, the next part is the stewardship of blue economy. You know, how are we... Um, handling, um, you, you know, the freshwater uh, ocean ecosystems. Uh, I, I, I'm not entirely sure if this is of importance to your audience, but, but the ecosystem in the, in the coastlands, especially the estuaries are extremely important. And, and uh, if we don't um, develop blue economy in a way that, uh, you know, protects this ecosystem, uh, we may be doing harm, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, long-term harm uh, that, that we probably should not, uh, uh, be, um, you know, involved, uh, getting involved in those activities. I can go into this in detail if you would like later. Uh, but, but the final thing is uh, saltwater intrusion. Uh, you know, um, any kind of, uh, you know, the, when the freshwater meets uh, uh, saltwater, uh, you know, uh, uh, what happens is that the, the, the movement of the, salt, uh, the freshwater towards the saltwater keeps the saltwater from encroaching the, the freshwater areas. And this interfa interface between fresh and salt water is usually maintained very near the coast. Uh, sometimes it can be below land as well. But uh, poor handling of, uh, you know, our uh, riverine systems can lead to freshwater and uh, saltwater encroachment deeper into inland, uh, which can lead to, uh, uh, you know, a great deal of uh, uh, difficulty for the people in the coastal areas. Uh, you know, uh, also we can have, you know, if we over pump the water from our groundwater supply, uh, we can have encroachment of the salt water into our aquifers in the coastal regions. So these are some of the, um, you know, areas where we have to be very careful when we are looking into offshore development on how our freshwater, um, uh, you know, issues on, on land are um, 
you know, can be harmed. I'm not entirely sure if this is what you had in mind, but but no, that was great. Yeah. And it, it kind of brought me to my next question, which, you know, you were talking about kind of sustainability and resources and how is climate change playing into all of this, whether it's water, energy, wind, can you expand on that? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think uh, climate change is going to have a profound impact on, on, on the oceans, on, on freshwater and in blue economy in particular. Um, you know, it's, in some ways, the need for blue economy was um, uh, born out of uh, how to handle or, you know, climate change. You know, when we went to zero carbon emissions and so on, the blue economy kind of rose to the top mm-hmm. as a possible solution. But, but if we don't practice this right, the um, climate change can disrupt this very blue economy. Uh, so uh, if you start looking into how can climate change actually disrupt blue economy, uh, I would say there are, there's a really nice uh, article by NASA on how climate change threatens the blue economy. And I have a link that you can, um, I can send it to you later if you yeah, would like. that would be great. Uh, one of the major areas is the change in salinity oxygen levels, you know, change in winds, all of these that occur due to, to climate change can completely um, modify the way in which uh, people live in the coastal areas. Mm-hmm. Okay, all of these can have tremendous amount of change and this will uh, alter the way that, uh, you know, the, our coastlines look. Uh, so that's one. The second area is that it will harm marine life. You know, if, if the salinity changes, the oxygen levels changes, it, ha- uh, it will harm the marine life and it, it will endanger the communities that depend on the fisheries and, and, and other uh, maritime based activities along the coast. So this is another major area where uh, climate change can affect populations along the coastline. Um, and the one that everybody talks about is the effect that climate change can have on coral reefs. Coral reefs are very important, not just for uh, eco from an ecosystem point of view, but they also protect the land and the coastal areas. And so the communities that live along these coastal areas will be uh, tremendously affected. And, and these are the communities that are involved in the blue economy. So it is, it is going to have an economic impact and it's also have, going to have an ecological impact. And, and unfortunately, the people that may be affected most in all of this are economically disadvantaged people living along mm-hmm. the coast. Uh, so as we progress towards uh, this equitable blue economy, we have to do it in a way that we climate change proof it. And also our practice should not lead to making matters worse. Yeah, absolutely. And that last point, we talk a lot about, you know, throughout our different water magazines in this podcast, especially water scarcity, water equality, but also water equity, because you're right, it's a lot of disadvantaged communities that aren't getting the right resources and are the most impacted by severe weather events. Um, Similar to how you're saying that the coastlines are at risk, we talk a lot about coastal erosion control, and especially during hurricane season. and so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the these disadvantaged communities, what you think can be done to, to help them. I, I think um, technology gives us various solutions, mm-hmm. um, you know, for helping these communities. Uh, cost may be a factor, but nonetheless, we should find, uh, you know, solutions that are based on technology and, and um, 
and, and also uh, the policies should be favorable for uh, implementation of these technologies. Um, what, you know, given that sea level rise now is inevitable, mm -hmm. you know, we have to plan how to minimize its negative impact. Sure. And, and one of the uh, ways in which uh, to do this, well, there are multiple steps on how we can do such a thing. One is how can we protect our coastline? That is not to say that we want to keep it exactly the way it is, mm -hmm. but how can we protect the interests, our best interests, economic interests and, and, and uh, human related interests along the coastline, even if the shape of the coastline is changing. So we have to get make a good assessment of what is inevitable and what can be managed. And, and if something is inevitable, we have to kind of accept that and move on and, and not expend too much of our energy and resources on those items. And then there are going to be some items where we are able to protect our best interests with you know minor modification in in you know in the way we'll uh, in, in the way we live the way they live and and um, uh, the, the different economic drivers so uh, coastal pr uh, protection using uh, different uh, you know uh, different technologies uh, then come to uh, you know then, then come to uh, or let me let me track back mm -hmm. so then we have to see how we can protect our coastlines uh, as you may know, uh, in the Galveston area, which is highly susceptible to uh, to storms and, and perhaps even sea level rise, they are thinking of what's called the ITIC or a, a coastal barrier system mm -hmm. to protect a large population that lives in this area, but also the the economic machinery that runs through there. Okay, so uh, these barrier systems, I think, will become a thing of the future, just like we are building dams and bridges. In the future, we will build coastal barrier systems. Uh, the, the Dutch uh, the, the, in the Netherlands, you know, they are leaders in the field. We can learn a lot from them, but also we can come up with brand new technologies here in the U.S., which are more applicable for our culture, our people, and our coastal areas. So, uh, building coastal barrier systems and you know, reasonably changing our lifestyles uh, can lead to people still living, uh, you know, good, having good livelihoods and good lifestyles along the coastal regions. Uh, to me, that, that's where technology can, um, uh, you know, rise to the top and, and provide solutions. Yeah, and you said something really interesting about some of these events being inevitable, right? And then you talked a little bit about solutions such as the coastal barrier systems that can be used. And in, with our audience, we talk a lot about mitigation, right? Flood mitigation, storm mitigation. Is that what you're getting at when you're saying some things are inevitable, but this is what we can do, such as building those coastal systems? Absolutely, yeah. Uh... Uh, in fact, we are putting together a lab with a very, uh, I would say, catchy acronym. Uh, it's called Laboratory for CHAMPS, okay, C-H-A-M-P-S, standing for Coastal Hazard Assessment, Mitigation, okay. and Protection Studies. Okay, so, so you have to assess what the hazards are. We have to mitigate or protect as is appropriate. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, to me, mitigation and protection mean slightly different things. Uh, and and uh, there are times when, uh, you know, you stay put where you are and, and then you are able to mitigate the, the ill effects of a hurricane 
or a storm system or sea level rise. And protection means that you are if you're taking really long-term view and, and developing infrastructure of um, infrastructure that can actually um, you, you know um, protect you from um, you know uh, from uh, extraordinary events. Okay. Okay. Uh, so that makes sense. <laughs> um, you know, mitigation to me is is an effort of lesser intensity. Okay. Whereas protection is is this huge engineering undertaking, you know, which will be expensive, but also uh, in in um, many ways something which would be uh, you know long lasting, uh, and so on. So uh, yes, it, it, there is first you have to assess what the issues are, and then you have to make a call on how we are going to react uh, to these various hazards. Uh, you know, it is, you have, sometimes you have to just adapt to them and sometimes you can mitigate them with some, uh, you know, some, um, uh, clever ideas. And then there are times when you just have to make the effort to build a strong barrier system to protect yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And that one of the questions I was going to ask a little down the road, but now seems like a good time is, are there any recent technological advances that you can expand on and that play into the blue economy that are, are going to help these these impacts? Uh, yes, uh, I, I, I think I would. Um, that's a very important question. Uh, you, you know, uh, uh, there are new technologies that are emerging, mm-hmm. but for especially for protection. OK, so let me see you know, about adapt, uh, you know, uh, adapting to it, uh, mitigation and protection. These all have different levels of, uh, you know, new technologies, you know, helping us. Uh, As far as protection goes, this is uh, in some sense, the um, kind of of the holy grail here. And and that involves a lot of old fashioned engineering, old fashioned, uh, you know, building these uh, uh, barriers, you know, seawalls and all of those. Okay, so, but the way we build them and how we operate them is what can be very, you know, can be, uh, can take advantage of modern technologies. Uh, For example, by looking at, um, you know, real-time data, we can use our protective systems a lot more effectively than we could do in the past. You know, now we have from remote observation, uh, you know, using satellites, we now have data uh, to utilize our protection systems a lot more effectively. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, one of the things that we are trying to do is develop something called the Coastal Decision Dashboard. Okay, it will take data from all um, real-time data uh, from all possible sources both uh, regarding, you know, with, with the water level, the sea currents, everything also from the atmospheric data. And then it will process it. And then it will give us options on how we can uh, execute our plans. And by having this in, uh, at our fingertips, we can make decisions that uh, optimize the outcome. Okay, so we need you know, old-fashioned engineering, but also the modern ways of handling data in coming up with the optimal solution. Uh, so the way I think of this is uh, like a, you know, like a, a sp- how space station is, um, uh, you know, handled by mission control at NASA. 
you know, so they get data all the time and then using the data, they make the best possible decision here uh, in mission control and then they execute the steps as needed. So we can, we should be, we should have such an approach in order to handle, you know, the crises along the coast, uh, be it a, a, a hurricane or a strong weather system uh, or whatever else that uh, may happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, one of my last, my last question for you is that in a presentation that you put together that I've had the chance to take a look at, you had a note in there that the global ocean economy is expected to double in value to $3 trillion over the next decade. That is a, a big number. And so I'm wondering if you can explain that and talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the projection of various, uh, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, various agents, government agencies. And in fact, some claim uh, that the uh, blue economy is already $2 trillion worth right at, the, at this moment. Okay. Uh, so, um, you know, where do I see this, uh, you know, increase happening? Uh, I, I would uh, categorize the blue economy related industries into two segments. One is established industries and one is emerging industries. Uh, so the established industries, which are like, um, you know, the regular fishing that we see now. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and then shipping, shipbuilding, uh, offshore oil and gas, you know, these things will grow somewhat slowly. Okay. Sure. Uh, but it, they, they will grow at, at a reasonable rate and they will contribute toward a part of this three trillion economy in the future. But where I see bigger gains happening are the new emerging technology, which is offshore wind, uh, you know, ocean based uh, re renewable energy and this, which is not wind, which is uh, ocean wave energy conversion. OK, ocean mining and uh, marine biotechnology. You know, these are some areas that people normally do not think of, mm -hmm. but we could see big gains over the next decade. And, and in fact, we have, uh, you know, us being an ocean department, we think that we are the center of the universe in this matter. <laughs> and, and we have a concept called open economy. And again, open is an acronym, uh, which is Ocean Powered Economic Nodes and Networks. It's O-P-E-N-N. So if you want to think, uh, you know, want to have an image in your mind, I would suggest, uh, you know, think of the movie uh, Waterworld, but in a very positive way that, that, that there could be economies in little, this little islands, uh, you know, um, again, I, I, I'm now going into fantasy land here a little bit, but, but it helps <laughs> us visualize things. So there could be these economic nodes that are powered by the ocean, wave energy, wind energy, that don't just supply energy back to mainland, but have their own economy built around it with aqua, aquaculture. They, they will be building their own coral reefs and so on. So they will give you value added products. Okay, so as I look to the futures, uh, you know, this is the kind of uh, things that could happen. And is, is that too far out in the future? Probably not. When you look at uh, these pearl islands and palm islands in the Middle East, they are first step towards such economies. They are little uh, reclaimed islands that have uh, their own economy. You know, now they mm -hmm. to some extent they, they depend on the mainland for, uh, you know, uh, for for their products and so on. But in the long run, they could produce their own food. They could generate their own water. You know, with ocean power sure. uh, powered technologies. 
So uh, I believe uh, that uh, as we move forward, uh, you know, this economy will grow in some traditional ways, but there will also new there will also be new paradigms that emerge uh, that will help the blue economy grow. Gotcha. Um, well, Dr. Giri Maji, I've taken up a lot of your time, and I want to let you go soon. But I did want to ask if you just had any final thoughts uh, you wanted to share with our listeners before I let you get back to your day. I, I think blue economy uh, gives us um, time to pause and think about how even as we uh, grow the economy, we should also be stewards of the environment and also make sure uh, that uh, whatever we do, however we grow economy in the future, uh, equity, uh, equitable growth that will benefit all humankind is important. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is... Um, a very responsible way of, of, of generating a profitable economy uh, that will also make sure that the you know ecosystems are not harmed too much and then it will also lead to equity um, among people of all um, types and kinds. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is a great, I think, ending point for us, a good final sentiment. Um, so thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. You shared a lot of really fantastic insight um, that is pretty valuable. So thank you so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. <laughs> All right. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much again, Dr. Giri Maji, for sharing all of that valuable insight with me. I really enjoyed our conversation. And now, a little bit of housekeeping. First, we have a webinar about PFAS across the water sector that is now available on demand. It features experts from CDM Smith, SCS engineers, and Corolla engineers who discuss the impact of PFAS on drinking water, wastewater, and stormwater. You can find it at www.dmag.com webinars. Similarly, for Wastewater Digest, they now have a collection systems webinar that is on demand. Visit www.dmag.com webinars to find a link to register and watch at your leisure. It features Derek Schwenke from Garber, who provides an overview and technologies and considerations for sewer inspection, cleaning, and rehabilitation so you can create a strong asset management plan for your sewer systems. For Waterworld, the September-October issue is now available. Simply go to magazines in the top nav bar of waterworld.com and view at your leisure. For water quality products, if you missed the Crystal IS and WQP panel on September 27th, you can now view it on demand. To view it at your leisure, click wqpmag.com webinars. And finally, for Stormwater Solutions, our next webinar is on October 11th and is titled Exploring Stormwater BMP Co-Benefits to reduce stressors of stream health. You can register for free at stormwater.com webcasts. Additionally, our 2023 State of the Industry Survey is now open for responses. The survey only takes a few minutes, but helps us get a pulse on how business was this past year. Take the survey at bit.ly SWSSOTI23. And with that, don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can also reach us at talkingunderwater at endeavorb2b.com to share your thoughts. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TUW Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.